0: Welcome to episode 370 of the AMPM podcast. Got a really good one for you today. Speaking with Frankie Thorogood from the UK. We're talking about branding, building brands, advertising, a lot of cool topics in this discussion. I think you're going to really get some good value from it and really enjoy it. Enjoy this episode with Frankie.
1: Welcome to the AM PM podcast. Welcome to the AM PM
0: podcast. Where we explore opportunities in e-commerce. Commerce.
1: We dream big and we discover what's working right
0: now. Plus, plus this is the podcast for Money Never Sleeps. Working around the clock in the AM and the PM. Are you ready for
1: today's episode? I said, I said are, are, are you, you ready, ready?
0: Let's do this. Let's do this. Here's your host, Here's your host Kevin, Kevin, king. King. Kevin King. What's up, Frankie? Frankie Thoroughgood, the guest on the AMPM podcast today. How are you doing, man? Very good. Thank you, Kevin. Kevin the king.
1: The king is here. And we're the all just to here to learn it's from him. It's good to be the king, you know?
0: It's good to be the king. It's good to um, be in the presence of king, of the king and royalty. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we we met uh, what uh, at Danny's event right? Seller uh, sessions back in uh, May earlier this year, I think it was correct. Correct. Yeah, a lot of people may not uh, know about you. You're based over in the UK. Are you in London proper, or are you outside of London? I am in very much the heart of London. If you listen carefully, you
1: might hear a siren.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I hear
1: it. Yeah. So um, I am right in the middle of Camden. Camden's quite famous. Uh, People, uh, you know, international people might recognize it. It's famous for live music. It's got a lot of history of like punk, rock and roll. So yeah, that's
0: where I live right in the middle of Camden town. Awesome. Awesome. I mean, London's a a cool place. I've been, I don't know, probably 9, 10, 11 times over to London. It's always a cool, very diverse uh, city. Uh, I used to remember my father used to love to go to the bookstores there back before you could buy stuff on Amazon. Uh, I think the first time I went to London I was in my twenties and my father was making his one of his semi-annual trips to go to London just to buy books. And I went, oh, with, him, wow. I went with him to London and he would just go and spend like four days just going in, uh, in all the bookstores because he could get books that in English, he's an avid reader and that he couldn't find in bookstores in the U.S. Uh, so he, he, now he, you know, doesn't need to do that. You can get pretty much anything online. Uh, but, yeah, that, I remember those days. That's back in the uh, the 90s.
1: Well, there's a sweet, certain irony to that, isn't there, considering what we're all up to these days with <laughs> yeah, Amazon? It is,
0: it is. It is. It's, 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 it's kind of like it's, yeah, it's a, almost like a full circle there. But there's a lot of really good books, and I've, you know, Gorilla Mark, and there's been books that have really changed my outlook on things in the past, but it's just just time. Um, but so I chose instead of spending like you do the few hours a day reading an actual book, I read more newsletter short form type of stuff mm, mm.
1: yeah it, it, sometimes books you know there's a lot to say about it but like you know sometimes if you get a good one it's a long game uh, and and it's a slow burner and sometimes they change your life uh, over time or they change your business over time as well in ways that it's not quite easy to pinpoint the newsletter style is like boom here's a point i'm gonna action it tomorrow i can test yeah. the results next week uh, so I think, you know, we're going to talk about some stuff that I've done in the past and a lot of the stuff I feel like that's made me successful has been a little bit counterintuitive. And I would argue that like, there might be, let's say a gap in the market, or it might be an opportunity for people like us to try and force ourselves to engage with some of the longer form stuff out there for that purpose, because no one else, maybe other people are missing it. Maybe it can, uh, for example, I read, I read, uh, advertising books, um, mm-hmm. And, you know, just marketing stuff in the, in the broad sense, brand marketing, right? I'm reading at the minute, uh, the 22 immutable laws of marketing.
0: No, I've read that. that. that that's, that's the book I actually like three or four years ago, I actually read it cover to cover Yeah, because it's, 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 those chapters are short to the point and like, it's, it's like good quality stuff. Uh, but that's a really good book for those of you listening that if you haven't checked out that I highly just, just like he did. Frankie just did. I, I highly
1: recommend you you check that out. Yeah. It's like a classic, right? I mean, it's so old that like half the examples are about fat, you know, the internet didn't exist when this book was written.
0: <laughs> so you're not going to find, but that's you know, a good point. That's a really good point. It's like everybody. Now there's a lot of young people in the, in, in the e-commerce business in their twenties, early thirties. I don't know what your age is, but I'm an older guy. I'm in my fifties. Uh, so it's, everybody's like, Oh, this is cool. New techniques that we're doing now. And I'm like, that's, there's nothing new about that. That's like, (laughs) it's the same thing that people were doing 70 years ago. And just now it's in a different medium. It's on, it's on meta or it's in uh, an email or it's, it's just a different form, but it's the psychology, uh, stays the same. And I always tell people if they're going to read books, if you're, if you're in the e-commerce business, some of the best stuff you can do is read marketing psychology
1: because Mm -hmm. that doesn't
0: human behavior doesn't change the medium or the meth, the, the delivery of the message may change, but uh, the delivery mechanism of the message, but the psychology of human behavior doesn't really change that much. Yeah, I I, mean, I agree. People say we've
1: got short attention spans now. Talk about like TikTok, you know, advertising, like that hasn't changed either. We haven't rewired the human brain in the last 10 years. Uh, you no. still have to get someone's attention in the first three seconds, the same as you used to when there was three TV channels or there was no TV and it was just a newspaper. You have to, you know, it hasn't changed either. So um, there's a lot to be said for studying some of the old masters. Ogilvy, uh, Ogilvy on advertising is like that guy, you know, he he was a copywriting genius. People talk about writing their copy for Amazon. I still write all my own copy, every bullet point, every title, every A plus, every product description. I still write it. I wrote it for for the old brands up until the very, very end. Even once we'd sold it, <laughs> I still I was like, no, I want to approve the copywriting. So these are these are like you know like yeah, whatever like old school skills they haven't changed. You can learn a lot from from some of the old masters as well.
0: And have you seen also- a, You seen a newsletter? Speaking of that, uh, the old Ogilvy stuff. Have you seen a, a newsletter called the Ad Professor? It's a British guy that actually puts this out. It's a he puts it out I think twice a week but he analyzes all the old ads, all the old Ogilvy ads, you know, the, I sat down at the piano and everybody listened or whatever, you know, all the famous ones. And then he, <laughs> he, he, finds the current ones the, all the top ads that are working really, really well uh, currently. And he, he, I don't know where he's getting all this stuff, but they're, they're amazing. And just to see, you know, he'll do like 20 of them each week. Here's 20 things that are just really creative, really cool that are working out there right now. And, and he pulls them from all kinds of different places and it's it's really good because it gives you ideas and inspiration. Like, man, if I applied this to what I'm doing, or take this little section, do this little section, it just creates that everything that's old, everything that's old is new again. And there's hardly any new ideas out there. There's nothing really novel and new. And for the most part, it's, it's just a re, repackaging. Uh, and some of the best things you can do is copy smart. Oh yeah, for sure. Why are you trying to reinvent the wheel for? These guys have been doing this for decades. Exactly. <laughs> He's the ad professor, you said. Yeah, it's called ad prof. The ad professor. Yeah, it's coming from a newsletter at marketingplug.com, but he does all the counter stuff. Like I never read The Economist as an ad, or he does. You know, like he has a ad shows an ad for a Porsche. It's a it's a from Porsche and Porsche. They're showing like a 911 and they're saying uh, whoever. What's the tagline? It's like, whoever dreamed, did you dream of uh, owning a, a Hyundai one day when you were a young child? Or did you dream of owning a Porsche? And I it just, it's really cool.
1: <laughs> really, I <call> Steve.
0: Yeah, <laughs> really cool stuff like that. Or there's one that just, uh, when Twitter rebranded to uh, X, uh, he it was the World, Life, World Wildlife Federation, I think it was, you know, Save the Animals kind of, or Peter or one of those Save the Animals kind of plays. So they showed the, the Twitter. Showed like a little bird, like a little chick, like a little baby chick. Then they showed the first Twitter logo, the next Twitter logo, the next Twitter logo, the next mm. Twitter logo. And then they put that, and the they put an X. And then they, the tagline was, uh, you know, we're here to save the save the wildlife or something like that. Uh, you know, it was really clever. Uh, so he, mm-hmm. he finds that kind of really cool stuff and then he breaks them down mm. on on what they're doing. It's, it's, it's really
1: good. But when I, I did a marketing degree, right, that was what I thought I wanted to do. That's what I, I got too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but then, you know, so I actually applied to, to every ad agency in London, you know, like to, for a job in an ad agency. And these guys hardly pay anything. And they, all, every single one of them rejected me. Um, and I always got to the final stage, the final interview stage. And then mm-hmm. they would they would reject me. And I can remember sitting in them. I, I was really passionate about advertising. I love the psychology element of it. It's basically sales, you know. Like it's, it's a, it, you know, I used to say that my interviews, like for me, advertising is like sales. You have to understand the other person and try to persuade them that your product or service is what they need. Mm-hmm. I don't think the advertising industry liked hearing that because they're a bit too pretentious. <laughs> but I um, but I used to sit there and look at the brands that they were marketing for, and I used to just think. I would like to work on the advertising campaigns for these brands, but you know what I would love even more is to own one of the brands and, and drive the advertising for my own brand myself. And I feel like, you know, that used to come through, they could kind of sense that I wasn't, my heart wasn't quite in it. And so that's why I ended up, you know, unemployed with my degree, <laughs> ended up
0: getting into the marketplaces game. So yeah, talk about that. So you you tried to you graduated university, tried to do uh, advertising, didn't work out. So you said the heck with this. I'll just build my own brand, doing my own. And that's what your one of your big skill sets, and what you're known for is branding and and really crushing it. You're crushing it with a a, a couple different brands on, on that front of of your own. Graduated university, and then did you go straight into like okay, I'm just going to develop a product and start doing like some D2C stuff, or did, or what did, what were you doing?
1: So I got I so I was desperate to start a business. I was like, I love business, you know. I want to get involved, but I didn't have an idea. I didn't know what to do. And And this this is is what about thirteen years ago? This is yeah twenty twelve. Okay, ten years. Okay, cool. Eleven years ago. Yeah, yeah. I and um, the way I got started was this is going to be a niche uh, reference for UK people will get this. UK people that follow football, i.e., soccer, will get this. But footballers started wearing a snood and What's what that? a snood is, is a piece of uh, warm thermal fabric that goes around your neck like a scarf, but it's uh, connected at both ends. So you pull it over your head and as footballers would wear this, to keep their neck warm while they're playing football. Mm, now okay. this, this is interesting for a few reasons. N- number one, the snood was vilified. It was very famous because footballers are famous and everybody follows the premier league and you've got more and more foreign players and more and more of this narrative that football is becoming too soft, right? Like football players are just diving all the time. There's no contact anymore. Like they, they feel, now they're feeling too cold. They need to wear a neck warmer. So there's this whole narrative right. in no, the it's media. It's kind of like they're a bunch of pussies or something now, or something. Exactly, I yeah, mean, that's, yeah. that hasn't really even gone away, but that was that narrative was very strong back then. And so Snooze were very famous and they were getting covered in the media and stuff. And I wanted to wear one because I play football on Sunday morning, Sunday league football, which is very brutal. It's barely football, it's basically just going to war. And I really wanted to wear one because I thought it would it would annoy my opponents. I thought if I was running around the pitch <laughs> wearing a snood, they would they would be like attack him because he's weak. You know what I mean? And I I love that. I just love winding up my opponents and it gives me more power. So I was like, let me get a snood because I want to wind people up basically and guess what i could not find a snood in this whole country really i, I could not find what, a were, the, what in- were the football players getting them i you know what i've never i've actually never worked that out um i don't know where they were getting they must have had some international supply chain that i wasn't aware of so because hmm. i was I, there was basically two places you could go shopping back then uh for sports you know sports apparel uh, sports Direct and JD sports in in the UK. So I went to I went to both of those and neither of them sold football snoods. and I was shocked. I was like, I cannot believe this because I can't be the only one that's going to try going to try and buy one at the minute. So there we go. What, what do we have? We have a surplus of demand and a lack of supply. boom, that's a business idea. And so that's what I did. I went to Alibaba and in those days you know like Alibaba people didn't even it was relatively new itself. people actually didn't even know about that. Um, I went, ended up on Alibaba. I ordered some snoods. And in fact, what I tried to do with them was I walked around Oxford street again, like in London, the famous shopping street. And in those days you used to have a bit more independent stores everywhere that would sell like luggage and like, you know, a c- bit of clothing and stuff like that. I went up and down Oxford street and I went up to all the owners of these stores and I made deals of them. I said, I'm bringing in football snoods. Everybody knows what they are. No one's selling them. I'm going to them in i can't remember what the prices were but like, i'll bring them in for one pound i'll sell them to you for three pounds and you can sell them for five pounds or something like that mm-hmm. and people people were interested i made deals on paper while i was waiting for the goods to come in from china were these licensed with the teams on them or just straight just simple colors or something the most unbranded piece of generic fabric you've ever seen <laughs> like, so you can see where the story might end up going because of that fact uh, but no, no licensing, no, nothing, not even like any unique design at this stage. It was just like order, you know, the first, uh, I had a hundred pounds, I had a hundred pounds of savings money. Um, and I invested it all in snoods. And, um, when I waiting for them to come in, I, I, I cut all these deals. What happened then was I met somebody through my uh, family friend who had been selling accessory phone accessories on eBay. Again, 2012, Amazon marketplace barely existed. Mm-hmm. eBay was actually the place you would go to if you wanted to like, you know, uh, do a marketplace business. And he was like, don't go to these shops. That's just like old fashioned. You should be selling this on the internet Use and you can use eBay to get straight to market very easily. So I, though that's what I did. And if it wasn't for that one conversation, you might see me today doing deals with retail, high street retail stores rather than doing anything to do with online. But that one conversation changed everything. And I said, "Fine, let's just stick them on eBay." The irony of it was, the margin actually ended up no better once you take into account the marketplace fees, the shipping, and so on. Uh, so the margin are probably going to be stronger if I just but get the into the higher. The
0: reach, the reach is going to be up. higher.
1: Yeah, You're, yeah, of course, yeah. And, and you know, I'm not—I don't regret it. So, so that's how I got started. I got—I uh, was set the first person in this country to sell snoods. I ended up selling snoods to footballers because I guess they had the same problem as me. Some of the other ones couldn't find where to get them. Uh, I sold them to like basically. So what, what, you every get an world. order on
0: eBay from like some uh, famous footballer, and you're like, you're checking your orders as and your emails like, "Holy cow! So and so, David Beckham just ordered one, or whatever whoever, <laughs> whoever it may have been." You're like, "No way!" You're like, "Yeah, yeah." <laughs> but I wasn't even surprised at this point. Who <laughs> yeah, so just ordered one?
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I wasn't even surprised at that point because everybody wanted a snood, and I was the only one who had them. So, um, so that was how I, mean, I, got, ended, how I, got I started up selling. I mean, how, how, how did that end up doing in the end? I, I wish I could remember the numbers, but you know, when you when you get into business, I can remember the day I sat there on New Year's Eve and my phone made a dinging noise and it said, ding, 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 you've sold an item, congratulations. And that that still to this day is one of my highlights of my entire business career <laughs> was selling that mm-hmm. first snood. And I was just like, oh my God, we've got something. We've got something here. And uh, I don't know how many snoods I sold, but what I do remember was uh, I ran out of stock, and I I wasn't um, bullish enough, and I didn't order more stock in time. So you know I had to keep waiting for it. That was a mistake I learned from, which I corrected later. At the time, it, it felt like I was a millionaire from Snoods. The reality is, it was going to be like in the you know the, the low thousands, or you know I don't know exactly how many. Um, but it didn't last long because, as I mentioned, it's like an unbranded. There's no differentiation. Anyone else can go and find out where to source these. And of course, what you end up in is a price game, which is everyone's you know nightmare on the marketplaces. It's obviously the big downside of using them. Uh, and on top of that, you know, it was a bit of a craze. You know, like a like fidget spinners would be another recent craze that everybody would be aware of. It wasn't going to last forever. It wasn't a sustainable business model, which I knew. Um, but it was what got my foot in the door in terms of selling anything, got me a foot in the door of selling online and it got my foot in the door of sportswear, which is then how I then developed what became the sportswear brands that we, that we built for the next nine years. Um, and
0: eventually sold. So what, what kind was that clothing sportswear, clothing brands or accessory brands or what kind of, what, what kind of stuff was it? Yeah. So, uh, you know, athletic
1: sportswear. So like in the, I think we, in the UK sportswear means, you know, like uh, actual, you know, athletic apparel that you're going to go and do a sport in. I think sometimes okay. in the U S it's used to mean like a bit more casual,
0: casual yeah, wear it can as be. well. Yeah. yeah.
1: But yeah, it was, um, so the next product that I did was compression wear. So, uh, compression, compression sportswear was invented by Under Armour. Uh, and it didn't really, I think they did it in 2008 or something. There's a good story about, about how they created that. And it started to become, um, commoditized and like, uh, compression wear started to become popular. And again, I was one of the first people in the UK to have like, a you know, like a independent, um, compression
0: wear uh, offering. So that was the so these first, are like compression we did. Wear. these are like, like people know, like compression socks and stuff, or these, are these more compression, like shirts and things yeah. for like, or,
1: okay. Yeah. So you'll see it if you watch athletes these days, you know, like underneath the team Jersey, they'll have something else on like a long sleeve top, very tight. Awesome mm-hmm. long, or some uh, shorts underneath there. You know, like the team kit. So that's compression
0: wear. So it's, yeah, Under Armour. What? Yeah, I remember they had big ads during like uh, American football games here, where they'd show the guys all in these like really tight black shirts yes. or something, and and uh, hyping how it made their performance better and all kinds of stuff. So yeah, what, exactly. what is it actually? What is for those that don't know? What is the compression wear? People know it for like the foot. You know, that's a popular item. Uh, and that, that's to help blood circulation in your feet, you know, keep you from getting clots and stuff down your feet. So as people age, a lot of times they need, or they're diabetic or whatever, they need compression socks. But when it comes to different parts of the body, like the arms and the chest and stuff, what is it actually really doing there?
1: Well, there was, there was, there was studies done on it. Um, the, the benefits of the, the main benefit would have been during the winter and it's for warmth. So okay. it keep it will keep you warm, which we need here usually. Not now. Now we're desperate for cold, but yeah. So like <laughs> a big a big part of the compression wear market is like, okay, I'm going to go play football on Sunday morning. I'm freezing. I want to wear something underneath, right? And it's lightweight. It wicks. So one of the benefits wicks the sweat from the skin, so you're not drenching yourself in sweat. So like an outer jersey or like a t-shirt like this, if you get going kind to of sweat on it, it'll become very heavy and wet with sweat where the compression layer would sit underneath and it would wick the sweat away, which means like uh, take it from the skin and then it absorbs on the surface of the fabric. And you could actually see that, you could see it happen. Like uh, if you put it on a wet surface, it would come to the top of the fabric, evaporate off and then, you know, save you from being drenched in sweat. So it was the sweat wicking. It was the keeping you warm. Uh, and yeah, there was, a, there a you know, like in, in compressing the muscles. Um, a lot of like people that wore it just enjoyed the feeling of feeling like they were locked in and their muscles were like, you know, being supported more. So there were mm-hmm. some benefits there as well. Uh, it's been, it's been, um, it's been a good three, four years since I wrote a copy for this, Kevin. So you're really testing me.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> but yeah, that was, that was what we did. That was, so that was the, the next big, how the many next different big SKUs, thing. Well, how
0: many different, you said you did it for eight or nine years uh, before you sold it. How many different SKUs did you have around this? Uh, honestly, you got dealing with sizes and you're dealing with all kinds of crazy
1: stuff, right? Yeah. Which is like, you know, um, everybody's worst nightmare these days, you know, too many skews, too many variations. I think we had, we definitely had more than 2,000. Jeez. Uh, I think, honestly, I think it might've been at 5,000 at one point, uh, before we cold, we cold a lot of it. But you know what, like, we didn't, it didn't bother
0: us. Like we didn't find that problem. Were um, you? Did you have a big warehouse in, in, in London there with this, or, or did you have, that you owned or managed, or did you job this out to a fulfillment company? Yeah, I um I remember the day that I shipped everything
1: off to the fulfillment um what was they called fulfillment company, 3PL um, the, yeah the 3PL um I remember the day I did that it was like wow like my life has changed because I spent my entire day packing things and then running to the post office, but yeah I I I did my research so um what your recent newsletter, uh or I think it might be a recent podcast episode is talking about making profits at the buying side rather than the selling side right something like that.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: yeah, and and that was one of the lessons I was taught earlier. Is you, is you don't make your money when you sell; you make your money when you buy. So you need to buy right, yeah. Don't skimp on that. Um, and the same goes for all your service providers. So what I didn't do was go to the biggest, flashiest website, FreePL, uh, who's charging me more just to like give me some account manager or something that I don't need and pay their salary. I I scoured the you know the country for. The most cost-effective um, free PL that I could find, and also someone who was small enough that we would get the service that we felt we needed, mm-hmm. um, and and that's what I did. And and I ended up working with these guys. And um, you asking me like if I wanted to, uh, you know, talk about anything in particular? I, to be honest, these guys really deserve a shout out. They're called Pack Smart. UK, uh, UK, like people can look them up. They're in near Coventry, based near Coventry, which is in the Midlands, which is where most of our warehouses are in this country. Because obviously, including the name, it's in the middle. They can ship everywhere quickly. Uh, but Pack Smart is run by this guy Nick and uh, um, this lady Shauna, and yeah, like that changed my whole life working with them, finding them, and I went through so many, and I and I I chose who I thought was the best combination of value and service. And it really made a difference because you got that many SKUs, right? And and with orders going wrong, they're giving the wrong size or the wrong color. It can happen a lot easier. So it was really important that we picked a good one. And, and those guys were amazing.
0: So were you selling D2C or were you also selling like on, still on, on eBay? And did you go onto Amazon and other places or in getting into doing wholesale into like any of those those two big uh, sporting <laughs> good companies or what were you we doing? Didn't, we did not I constantly got asked
1: about um, wholesale orders or like you know doing some bulk stuff and I just think a lot of people might relate to this now like if we've got if we start a successful brand you start to get approaches for these things so one of the new brands that I'm running now we got approached by like a very famous um department store in the uk like kind of prestigious place and I was just like can I be bothered to like send you, 50 units and just like deal with all of your old fashioned ways of working and of course there's some upsides but like I could spend my hours a lot better than doing this deal with you so it was it was the same back then with this with the sportswear we always had people asking about it but like I just felt the growth of the business was going to be online and um, direct to consumer or, or via the marketplaces and not not in these wholesale thing I just wasn't set up for that so I'm glad we never did it. Amazon tried to do it as well. I tried to buy us, like, you know, do a retail deal, which we we luckily never did because that sounded like hell. So um, it was mainly eBay for, for a long time. And then some people started to try and convince me, like, you should check out Amazon. And I was just like, oh, I cannot be bothered. Have you seen the state of these flat files? I'm not gonna <laughs> I'm not gonna waste <laughs> my time filling out a thousand cells. And like, you know, I have to go for like approval for it and all this stuff. I was like, I forced myself to do it um and and of course the rest is history ebay ebay was still doing half a million or something in sales um the last time i checked i mean we stopped checking it a long time ago <laughs> with the old business but it was t- we had such powerful listings on ebay that they were just turning over like like you know hundreds of thousands but but yeah you know as soon as i got on amazon amazon itself started to grow and we grew with it and you know like obviously it's the place to be now so you end up selling that out uh, a few years ago right yeah, TCA was the name of the of the brand, and it was uh, May twenty twenty one. So yeah, just over two years ago, we sold
0: that. Was that to an aggregator or to a strategic buyer, or what was it? Who who bought it? It was an aggregator. A U.S. Um, one or a, U- or a European one? European. European uh, and- guys. Was that like was what were what was your sales volume when you exit? What are we all doing in gross uh, merchandise? When we, we we don't we don't reveal everything about
1: it, but um, we were doing like a very healthy seven figures, and okay. um and we got, I you know this is what we what we started talking about. It's coming around a little bit now, but what we had was we we had a real a real brand, Kevin. You know, and some, how did you build thing- that,
0: though? And that's a competitive space. I mean, like you said, Under Armour started, and then every Tom, Dick, and Harry's got compression something or another because it, it, there's a low barrier to entry. So what did, what was it that actually, like you just said, you had a real brand? What made it a real brand, and what made it stand out? You know, we, we always think, like, what make, what are the great brands Or
1: Nike, Apple? And we start thinking about the logo and the flashy advertising and stuff. We, we forget one very important point. How did these companies start in the first place? Right? They started with a great fucking product. Mm -hmm. Simple as that. Stop trying to cheat the system, people. Just make a good product. Your brand will build itself. Your business will build itself. No one can be bothered to make a good product these days. I guess I actually get sick of it. So we talked about when we met in seller sessions, uh, and and um that was my first ever Amazon event ever. And I was wow. I was even I wasn't even done. Like I'd sold the previous company. I've got the new the new brands now which I run. Uh, they're gonna be they are very successful, but I do I, I have fun with it as well. I'm not like completely um obsessed with you know making money anymore. So I went to sell a session just for a bit of fun, um, which is how we ended up meeting. Um but I, I got so people so many questions, they always ask me, like, how did you know what to sell? when they find out I'm on you know on Amazon how did you find out what to sell and I just I'm like confused by the question
0: because you did that's what you know all. you, you <laughs> did what you know and what you would buy i mean what you what you would want and what you would buy right yeah so, yeah and it made, it, it made it good and made it better
1: and good but i i don't sit down there and say what can i sell i sit down there and say what do people want what do people need and what they can't already get and what is that a great product and and there you go <laughs> then you go and sell it So I feel like people running their business backwards. What can I sell? I just don't get that. So I didn't build an Amazon business. I built a sportswear brand and I just happened to put it on Amazon. That's how I think about it.
0: I mean, I did the same thing in 2015 or similar uh, with when the first Apple watch came out. There was, uh, I I was going to like, that looks pretty cool. I think I'll buy one of those. And it wasn't quite out yet. And I was like, how do you charge this thing? How do you what do people do with it? And, you know, you just got to put a cable and like stick it across the table or on the nightstand. And there, I look on Amazon and there's people selling little charging docks, little stands. And back then, they're all like, they're cheap pieces of crap made out of like bamboo for 10, 15 bucks. And they all look the same or slight variations. And they were selling like crazy. And I'm like, I don't want that. If I'm going to spend, I don't remember what that watch cost, but if that watch costs like 500 bucks or whatever it was, why am I going to put it on some chintzy little bamboo, $15 stand. Apple has a elegant look to it. You know, it's a sophisticated look. You need like a nice white and silver or some sort of, you know, colors that match in a black stand. So I developed my own stand. I developed what I want wanted. I ha- spent like $35,000 or something like that in tooling. This stand had, it would hide all the cables. So it had a bottom which popped out and you wrap the cables around. So there's not all these cables laying all over the, the table. Um, it would charge your iPhone and your, and your, uh, and your watch. It had a built-in Bluetooth speaker, uh, so that you could just, you know, if you're sleeping at night and you want to listen to some music or whatever, it would tie into the watch or the, or or your phone It had a little channel on the back to hide everything. It sat nice and neat on the corner of the desk. And, and I put that out at $89 and, uh, Christmas time, 2015, and I was selling them like crazy and everybody is look using back then there weren't all these sophisticated tools like there are now there were a few tools but people were just going just let me jump on this bandwagon of being another me too product and just make another bamboo stand these guys are making you know 100 grand a month let me go do that um and find a factory that can just make it slightly different you can't do that um you got to develop and then the same thing happened with uh, a dog bowl um and there was this slow feed dog bowl. My dog was eating too fast. And so it was eating its food when I put it in the bowl and just gulp it down. And so then it would get gas or it'd be, you know, burping or whatever. And I was like, this can't be good for the little puppy. So, so I look it up online. They say, yeah, put a tennis ball in the inside the bowl or something to slow it down. That's got to eat around the tennis ball or, but then I look on Amazon, there's this bowl, there's this dog bowl. That's a slow feed dog bowl that has a patent on it. And it's like, it's ridged. It's like, looks like a little small little mountain and you just drop the food in there and the dog has to use its tongue to go around the little obstacles to slows them down. I'm like that thing is freaking ugly. That's the ugliest thing I ever saw, a little piece of plastic. I am going to i don't want that sitting on the floor in my house. Um, I want something nice. So I actually developed a really nice bone-shaped bowl with silicone and non-slip rubber and all this stuff and, and came out with that and it sold like crazy and, became, and created a real brand out of it. And that's what I think, like you just said, is most people are not doing, they're not willing to put in that work or that effort. They're just looking for the quick buck. What can I find on, on Helium 10 that says, says there's an opportunity, find a supplier, and let's just do it and make a quick buck and be done with it. But if you build a true brand, you create a moat around yourself and you create something that actually has value and someone will pay for. And is your brand now, since you've sold it, have you checked in on it, how, how it's doing? Is it still, are they are they managing it okay? yeah
1: i mean uh what from what i hear well i know for a fact it's doing well because they told me we had we had a couple of earnouts and like bits and pieces that you know for the couple of years afterwards which is finished now but so yeah they have to give me those numbers and uh it's it's grown it's grown very very nicely um so i'm very proud of that actually because not all of the brands that were acquired during the you know like the rush the land grab mm-hmm. i think not not all of them are doing so well which is why we're seeing so many aggregators acquiring each other and consolidating and some of them are really suffering so um i'm very proud that tca's do they do i'm actually shocked to how well it's doing i'm a bit like <laughs> i've actually realized that i wouldn't have been able to do some of the stuff they've done um are so- they still just europe uk or they have they expanded out to the rest of europe or into uh, us or anywhere I think they're seeing some really good results in some of the smaller European countries, uh, which which people maybe ignore. I, f- I think like Spain is doing quite well. Um, but yeah, they do they're, they're selling everywhere. And I think one of the big deals they did was uh, they got onto Decathlon. Decathlon's like a major major sports retailer here, and I think they're on the Decathlon website now, which is which was one of the big projects they did after I sold it. Um, and actually, Chris, who's my number two. He, uh, I think he he can take the credit for most of that project so he stayed on with the brand and implemented that. So yeah like TCA is actually going a lot better than I thought it could to be honest. Um, they're adding like definitely adding a couple of million to the to the revenue.
0: So yeah, it's doing well, which is very pleasing. So what was it about it? I mean besides just a quality product, you can have a quality product but nobody knows about it mm. and, nobody, it's, and, and that's one of the things that's happening with Amazon now with all this testing they've been doing with reviews, and I'm, I'm all for this, but whether you have a, a product that's been there since 2015, a dog bowl, let's say, that's been there since 2015, and it's got 27,000 reviews, and it's got this big moat around it that a newer, better product may come out, but it doesn't stand a chance because it has 10 reviews or 20 reviews, and so people won't mm-hmm. give it a chance. And so now Amazon's doing all this testing, and hopefully it becomes permanent where they don't show the number of reviews anymore. And that will give a, a new product, a better product, a better chance, and will give, innov- it's better for the customer. It's better for innovation, better for the customer. The old school sellers hate it because now their their little moat is gone uh, and they have to actually do real business. Uh, and it's, But what is it besides the quality that made TCA a true brand and made it so good? Is it Was it the marketing? Was it the avatar that you were appealing to? Was mm. it how they made them feel when they... They did it. They felt that they're part of something or what, what was it that actually branding is more than just a quality product and a logo. Like you said, what was it that, that really helped you create that
1: brand? So I used to, yeah, I did used to think about this a lot. And I guess that the metaphor I always gave was actually, um, well, people used to ask slightly different questions. They'd say like, what's your USP? And I'd be like, I just say like, I mean, name me anything that has actually has a USP, like unless it's a patent. I'm not, I'm not a big fan of
0: that USP statement. Uh,
1: I'm not yeah, a sure. I, I, exactly. I think it's a red herring. I don't the, the customer's
0: customer is always right for me. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah,
1: go ahead. So, but I, but I used to think so. If I haven't got a USP, then what what the hell am I doing? And the metaphor I always thought was like uh, the business is like a, a rope. You know, the rope has got like so many different threads that wind together. So we're very good at this. We're very good at that. We're very good at this. We're very good. At, we're slightly better at everything than our competitors. And all overall, you get a nice strong rope, which is which is the strength of the business. So, um, you know, like, and and so what is it, what makes a brand? I mean, it's like a question that people talk about forever. And the best definition that I like, the one I go by is Jeff Bezos. Uh, he says a brand is what your customers, no, he says your brand is what people say about you when you're not in the room. So it's everything you do. Like people hate hearing this because it means it's hard work and you can't just (laughs) like, it's not just the logo. Sadly, it's not just the copywriting. It's not just the imagery, but it's everything you do creates the brand in the mind of your customers so number one it is having a great product and that I'll never I'll never get away from that we used to spend like weeks months I had like designers and product developers from Under Armour Nike Lululemon working for me making my products tell me another Amazon business that has got people from the giants of their industry making their products so we start with a with a great product, and the way part of the way you can get your great product is guess what? You just ask people. <laughs> you just ask yeah. your customers what they want, um, and and you have to be clever because, like you know, uh, if you ask them what they want, they might just say a faster horse, like Henry Ford uh, says. So you have to read between the lines. You have to listen carefully. You have to prompt them here and there, and you have to do it carefully, and they will tell you what they're looking for. Then you can go. But design sometimes it they don't know
0: what it. they want. You look at the. Look at some of the Apple products, you know, that yeah. they, but people, you know, they, I remember when the, I thought it was the first iPhone, I think, came out or something. There's a bunch of articles that came out and said, yeah, this is the latest uh, fad. Uh, mm-hmm. this, this won't last. Um, or so, but sometimes people don't know what they want. So, like you said, you have to read between the lines and you have to uh, prompt them right and then create that basically.
1: There's a there's a great quote with from, from the guy we we're talking about before, Ogilvy, which I always forget exactly how it goes, but it's like consumers don't know what they want, they don't say what they think, and they don't think <laughs> they don't think what they don't think what they say or something like that. And like basically it's just you know, you have to be very uh tactical about the way you engage with them. But you know, ultimately you can do it. So that's that's one way we did it, right? We speak to customers. Um, you also have to have like a knack for it, right? Like I'm not going to pretend that I have no talent whatsoever. But when I spot a great idea or I hear a customer say something, my brain will latch onto it, and I'll, and I'll get that. So you know, it comes with a bit of you know innate ability, like to trust your gut on something as well.
0: But what but about can, what about, what about what you said though about customers asking them what they want? I mean, in our business right now, one of the big things are, are sites like uh, PickFu, which is a great company, great guys to actually test and. People now are using AI and creating, you know, a hundred different product designs of the latest, coolest dog bowl, and then putting that up there and saying, "Which one of these would you buy?" And then nah. they're then they're, then they're choosing that one and getting feedback. And the people are like, "I like this one because it's got rounded edges, and I like it because of this." And like, yeah. okay, that's the one we're going to do. But the problem with that, in any kind of focus groups stuff like that, and whether it's PickFu or anything else, is that's great maybe for some brainstorming and getting some basic ideas. But people, you just said it. What people say. And what they will spend their money on are often two different things. They yeah, may yeah. say this is my favorite, but when it come, when push comes to sub, say give me ten bucks for it. like no no no, it's it's not that great. So yeah. how do you how do you get past that when you're doing innovation and branding, and and is it the, just the gut feeling and, and rolling the dice, or how do you how do you do how did you do that, or how do you do that? Hmm. So. Good question. I mean, I've not
1: codified this in a way that we're trying to talk about now, which I will, because this is super valuable. And there'll be companies, I don't even know if people have done this yet. So there's a few things. I mean, number one, if you speak, I speak to people, I like to speak to people one-on-one, like customers, rather than in a group, because group dynamics, just you could just throw reality out the window, right? They're just going to start lying, um, conforming to one another. But uh, I speak one-on-one. And and if you hear the same thing three or four times, is a fairly good indication that, you know, like there's something there, so you can get it with the frequency of of the same response. Um, you've got to be careful not to not to. You've got to write and deliver a question in an open manner. So it's just it's pretty easy. Like, would you buy this? Like, it's not. I don't think a particularly useful question. Like you say, like they could, you know, whatever they say, we don't know until they put their money where their mouth is. Sometimes it's you can. So it's important to phrase questions correctly, keep them open ended, don't prompt them, don't let them think. You know what? It's kind of like um. Have the person you're speaking to uh, give them any expectation bias of what they think you want to hear, for example. So there's an art to engaging with customers and that you know, and that side of things. I'm sure there's millions of resources online people can look at for how to effectively do it. But for me, it's something that came natural, like to, to listen to people and try and read between the lines. So that's why I've lent into doing it, because I found I was naturally
0: good at it. I mean, one of the things I've done in the past, and this may be, you know, some people may say this is, hey, Kevin, that's maybe a little... Shady or something, but I, I did this. I had a membership site, and I did this. And I was testing two different prices. I was like, price for this membership site is going to be nine ninety five or nineteen ninety five, and I could send out a poll and say which would you pay for, and everybody's going to say the cheaper price. But I'm like, will they pay for the higher price? So what I did is I set up. I said we're launching this site, and I I, had a, I did a split test, and that actually took them all the way through the credit card processing. Uh, I didn't actually process the credit card, but they had to enter all their credit card stuff just as if they and hit submit and then they got the thank you and everything. I just didn't actually run the card. And I, I did testing that way. I've done it also for products where I come up with a new product idea. Let's just say it's a, a dog bowl, for example. It wasn't a dog bowl, but just say it's a dog bowl. And I have my own customer list. It's one of the values of having your own customer list. And I will segment that list. If I if the list is 10,000, I'll take a thousand of those people and I'll, I'll, I'll put it up a special page on my website. That's kind of like, it has a, you know, you can, there's some tools where you say you have to have a link to get to this page. So it doesn't just show up naturally everywhere. And I would send out an email to these people and say, and i put the dog up, you know, 3d imagery looks like it's real in stock available. To sh- you know, not, I don't know if I said you know, in stock, I said probably, you know, shipping in, in seven days or something like that. And to see if people would actually and did the same thing. How many of these people will go through and actually give mm. me their credit card for it. And I just didn't charge them. And then mm-hmm. I come back and I say, sorry, uh, uh, I think one time I told him it was a test, but sometimes that pisses him off. Uh, I think one time I said, Oh, we have a shipping, shipping delay. Uh, you know, there's a, there's a problem with, um, uh, the, the factory or some, something. you know, so it's going to be a little bit of delay. I, I forget what I say, but if it doesn't work, then I, I, will come back and say something like, uh, sorry, uh, this oversold, you know, we're, we're working on uh, getting some more in or, or whatever it may be Here, You know, we're not going to charge your car. We didn't charge your card. So don't worry. You're not out on anything. nothing to refund. And that I've I've done testing like that that actually proves that they want this product. Um, mm. so, so that that's something that I've done to try to overcome the, those obstacles of put your money where your mouth is.
1: Mm. Yeah, I've actually heard that from a few places. Um, yeah, it, it yeah it's um, yeah it's just actually to, I just remember something you mentioned before about the um, people launch people want to launch new products on Amazon. They want to get their business business going. Uh, here's one of my big, you know, my big, um, keys that I think people should try to try to use. And that is rich people shop on Amazon too. Yep. Yep. And, and how, you know, how do rich people shop, right? Do they go to the shopping mall and look for the cheapest shop? No, they go to the fancy place with all the fancy shops. They want to spend money. So they want to use Amazon. Everyone wants to buy everything on Amazon. We don't want to use any DTC sites. We can't be bothered but we don't use it for everything because there's a dearth of quality and there's just too much overflow of rubbish. And guess what's the biggest indicator of quality is your price. So mm-hmm. people need to think about that a little bit more and create really good products. And don't be afraid,
0: like you say, to charge for them because
1: prices. I've actually done that too.
0: Exactly what you said. I did this, uh, I had a makeup mirror, a little portable makeup mirror for women. I was selling uh for several years. I don't sell it anymore, but I was selling for several years. And at Christmas time, I would actually rate everybody else is selling theirs at 1995. I would raise the price to $29.95. Yeah. And then I would put a $10 coupon on it. Uh, you know, one of those clippable coupons on it. So, but when people would come there and they're comparing two different products, they're looking at the nine, there's this, this is 1995 one. Here's mine. My images are good and everything too. But um, this one's $29.95. They're like, it must be better. It costs more. Uh, well I'm on a budget. I can't spend, I'd rather just spend the 1995. dollars but well, wait a minute, there's a $10 coupon. So I'm going to get a better quality item for the same price. And they would buy mine. Um, and, and mine was better quality, but they don't know that. And then they can't touch it and feel it and hold it or whatever. But that's, it's the psychology of, mar- of marketing that, that most people don't think about. Um, and, um, I agree with you. I've, I've done that with bully sticks. I've, I've told this story many times. It was in my newsletter and a couple of places where I sold, everybody's selling 30 bully sticks in a bag for 30 bucks on Amazon. I sold three in a box for $55. Um, and everybody just thinks it's always, always about the cheapest price on Amazon. And it's absolutely not. In some categories in some keywords, it's difficult to compete uh, if, if you're not competing on price, but there's a lot of opportunities in a lot of spaces where it's, it's not price-based.
1: Absolutely. And you know, the thing with the dog, uh, treats is there's even another element which came to mind on top of that for me, which is the customer, i.e. the, the human buying it, will will never actually know how good or bad that thing was for its dog because it can't really get the feedback, right? So there's actually yeah, more, exactly. there's, there's more yeah. uncertainty, right? When you're going to put something in the mouth of a child or a dog that you're responsible for. And again, do I really want to put the cheapest thing in my dog's mouth?
0: No, you're, to, you're selling to the human. It's just it's the same old thing of McDonald's with playgrounds. You know, they put a playground in there so the kids say they want to go to McDonald's. It's you're 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 not selling to the you're you're selling to not necessarily the consumer of the product, but the buyer of the product. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we we've seen that as well um, in the gifting
1: space as well. So there's different, but yeah, this is basic. This is marketing 101. I and mean, it made me laugh a little bit when we were at seller sessions because you could see the shift happening away from there's definitely a shift happening now with the amazon world which is away from the short-termism away from the hack mentality towards mm-hmm. brand, everyone's saying brand right brand 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 which is why it's just becoming like ruined the word but which is fine
0: but <laughs> but like, people, they, they're saying that that's the mantra but n- most people don't understand what that means well exactly they don't they don't they don't quite get
1: it and and some of the content you know is pretty this is you know some pretty basic marketing branding 101 which everyone, you've got to start somewhere, but I feel like the Amazon world is so far behind. Um, but that's, you know, that's like a, a principle that I have, which is take, you know, I try to work out what I'm good at. And then I think, well, where is, is what I'm good at going to have the most effect? Where am I going to have the biggest impact? And that's not necessarily the place where everyone else who's good at what I do is playing. I want to find a playground where people that, aren't good at what I do are playing because then I can stand Mm. out a bit more so for me that was the beauty of Amazon was like okay everyone here is playing a price war cheap commodity game and I'm gonna do I'm gonna pretty much do the opposite and that's a lot of the stuff with TCA is what that's what we did I mean my my um my titles sometimes were like six words six word product title like women's supreme running leggings what TCA Boom. That's the title. No keyword stuffing, no nothing. Do you know what that looks like to a customer? It looks like, damn, these guys are confident. (laughs) Mm -hmm. You know, they don't need to, they're not begging for sales. They're confident in what they do. That sounds like an Under Armour or a Lululemon or a Nike type of title, not an Amazon title. So that's how we did it. And and it can still work today. So now you're building another brand, right? Uh, At least one. Yeah. We've got two or three. Some pottery uh, thing or something like that? Or what was it? What is it? We're, we're, we're in the creative space at the moment. Okay. So I, um, after I sold, I mean, I love sports, but like when I've been wearing my own sportswear for 10 years, I was actually sick to death of it. <laughs> so <laughs> it was, a, it was actually like a relief to sell the brand and start wearing jeans again. But I'm, I'm a, I'm a creative guy. I love creating. You can see behind me, I got the guitar, got the piano. I got some artwork back there as well. So I just thought, let me do a business about something that I actually want to do myself. Um, so yeah, so, so, um, the brands that we're doing now are all in a creative space, um, which just makes it fun to work on. So what are those launched or you're you're still in the development stage on those? Uh, launched. We've got, I've got, I've got other ideas, um, which are yet to launch, but sometimes you don't want to split your focus too many different ways. Some kind of, Wondering whether I
0: launch more now or just try and focus on what we have. Are you doing it the same way where you're going after more of the premium, high quality market in a commoditized industry? Or are you doing it a little bit differently this time? Um, no, this time is completely
1: different. This time we're trying, this time we're actually running very much a dual business, Amazon and D2C. So uh, that's like a new skill set that that I'm learning is is more of the d2c uh side of running a business because tca was was uh, almost all amazon um we didn't challenge on the on the d2c side um so yeah we're doing both of those things and you know amazon again it's pros and cons right so the pro is you can get a product in front of everybody very quickly very easily the con is it's a search um you know it's a search tool so if you put something completely new on there that no one's ever heard of, the chances of them finding it are low because they don't know what they're looking for. They can't search for it yet because they don't know what exists, right? So um, that you have to weigh up that when you're using Amazon as well because you want to be innovative and launch new things that haven't been seen yet, but you have to try and still capture some demand that's already existing.
0: And so, so a lot of people are using TikTok
1: for now for product discovery. Yes, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So that's I mean, yeah, exactly. That's that type of stuff that we're actually trying to learn, and and it's like a new skill set for us at the moment.
0: Yeah, there's people right now using. I mean, TikTok's got their own shop in in the UK, and they're doing some testing in the US, and they got a lot lot of stuff coming there where they're setting up their own fulfillment networks and everything because they realize this that TikTok is a, a great place for product discovery. They're like, why should we be sending this off to somebody's Shopify site or to uh, to Amazon when we could just do this ourselves and take those margins? But So they're, they're working heavily on that, but there's people that one of the TikTok tactics actually is that to get something going, like you said, on Amazon, if you can't get product, if you don't, they don't know you exist And something new and innovative, it's hard to find it. Amazon has some programs that try to help push that out there a little bit, but um, you give up more points for being in those programs too. But what TikTok, what someone's doing on TikTok is they, they got really smart. They went out and got five influencers. Uh, I think this is Paul Harvey that actually uh, uh, recommended this. You get five influencers to actually prom- to create a UCG, uh, user-generated content video of your product, and then post that on their link. And then you run ads using their, con- against their, using their boost, basically boosting their their content. But you run that to a small audience. So if, if it's a small audience let's say five or 10,000 people, and those five or 10,000 people, because there's five different influencers, five different videos, all featuring your product and running to this small audience, it starts showing up in all their feeds, mm. uh, constantly. And they, and they see, start seeing other people doing it. It's this very small subset. So they're like, well, I just, I just saw uh, Kevin's video and I just saw Mike's video. I just saw Susan's video, man, this must be a hot product. Let me go search for it on Amazon. And mm. then that creates a, a demand. They go and they're like, this is pretty cool. let, let me, I'm gonna buy it. And then it creates this flywheel, and then you expand it out from there. And you can actually almost force product discovery. At least right now, the way the algorithm works, by doing stuff like that, which is which is a pretty cool little technique. Yeah, yeah,
1: it's huge, and that's the merging of the worlds that we're seeing, DTC and Amazon. Mm-hmm. You know, in twenty twelve in twenty fifteen, uh, for you as well, Amazon is a dirty it's a dirty word. Brands don't even now today. Brands turn their nose up; they don't want to be there. They don't want to be associated with it. And that's slowly changing Um, and it will, you know, eventually that will, I think, disappear almost entirely. But, you know, where there's this snobbery around Amazon, that's opportunity for people. Um, so, you know, I think it's, yeah, it's, it's very interesting to watch that merging of the DTC world and the Amazon world. And it's not so hard anymore to drive people to Amazon. They trust it. They, you know, like we said, they all want to buy things there. So yeah, I think, um, yeah, we're, we're interested very interested in TikTok and and the TikTok shop like you say because they're banning all the links, aren't they, to to outbound to Amazon or whatever. Uh, but like I don't think it really matters, to be
0: honest. So what 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 else are you working on? You just got these brands? You got anything else in the in the uh, the oven? I um <laughs>
1: I mean I literally just make music, Kevin. <laughs> yeah, okay, all right. I see the digital I, uh, piano behind you there. So I was learning, I was playing the piano last night. I got the guitar on the go. I I sing as well. I love making music. Uh, I don't think I'm going to be a musician or an artist, but it's a passion. And you know what's funny, like with, you know, like an entrepreneurial type of person is your passions tend to start to turn into businesses eventually. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's why I started the, these like creative product brands is because I thought, well, I'm already passionate about it. So we'll, we'll do it that way um but yeah i just i, I like missing I like creative like doing some art um and i love writing i've been i've been writing i tried to get a blog going but didn't really pursue it i wrote some stories all of these things are little passion projects uh i love dancing i'm going to dance class later tonight but I, I have a feeling that one of them or two of them might start to like funnel itself <laughs> into like some kind of business because that's just what i naturally do so it's what is a watch this space for like what else i might do but I'm a physical product guy at heart, right? Like, I just love a good product. You know, you know, you know, once you know how to do it as well, this is something that's so interesting, Kevin. Like, the second time around is so easy. Mm-hmm. Starting a business the first time around, it's like you think, you, for some reason, we all do it, we all reinvent the wheel and we learn how to do everything. <laughs> but, like, <laughs> yeah. but like we, we, maybe you need to, maybe it's not you can't just get a mentor or follow a playbook. But the second time you do it, I was like, oh my God, like, this is so easy. So I think people should remember that as well. Like people was on their first business right now. It's hard work. It's a grind. It was for me also, but there's a very big difference between the first time you do something and the second in anything and building a business is the same. So that's what I
0: found and, um, having a bit more fun with it now. That's awesome. Well, Frankie, if people wanted to find out more about you or to, uh, to check you out, what you're up to, uh, check out your blog or whatever uh, that hasn't been updated in a while or whatever it is, uh, how would they do that?
1: uh instagram I'm, I'm called the urban artist the urban artist um so I, I use that mostly to you know share share my share my work there any if it's writing or anything else um and uh you can find me on linkedin as well which linkedin is kind of a funny place so don't take myself too seriously on there but um but yeah i'd love to connect with people on linkedin or, or instagram um yeah man i'd love that cool man i appreciate your time today it's been a uh, great chatting with you
0: Kevin, it's always a pleasure. The king. The king is here. The king. <laughs> the, the king in the house. Cool, man. I'm sure we'll see each other or be chatting again uh, soon. Thanks, man. Cheers, bro. Great discussion this week with Frankie talking about branding and how you figure out how to actually create a true brand on Amazon. Great story and some great insights and some great resources for everybody. I hope you really enjoyed this episode. We'll be back again next week with another awesome episode. We're going to be talking about sourcing in India and some amazing opportunities that you probably don't even know about when it comes to sourcing in India. Even if you don't want to direct all your sourcing over there, just even switching 10 or 20% can make huge, huge differences. So look forward to that in next week's episode. Before we leave today, our discussion today between me and Frankie reminded me of a quote from Dan Kennedy. Dan Kennedy one of the greatest copywriters, uh, he's still alive, uh, of our, our generation. And it's just amazing stuff. But one of the quotes that he said is, Marketing is about behavioral psychology and math. Marketing is about behavioral psychology and math. I couldn't agree more. Have a great week. We'll see you next Thursday. <laughs>